when I found myself as a teacher feeling overwhelmed, when I found myself as a principal feeling overwhelmed, when I find my, myself in this capacity feeling overwhelmed, I, I, I go back here, the mirror, to recommit myself to my purpose for doing the work in the first place. It's very easy to lose sight of one's purpose when the work becomes demanding. Welcome everyone to the Change Starts Here podcast. I'm your host, Dustin Odom, and it's my honor this week to welcome back Principal Kefele. The last time we had Principal Kefele on, we dove into one of his books that just fascinated me, which is, Is My School a Better Place Because I Lead It? This time we dive into his latest book, The Assistant Principal, Protecting Your Leadership Mindset, Fervor, and Authenticity. If you don't remember Principal Kefele from our first interview, He's someone that believes so much in the power of teaching and the power of being an educator that he actually changed his name to represent that. I would encourage you, if you want a deeper dive into what I'm talking about, go listen to the first episode. Uh, it's fascinating. And he's someone that, you know, coming from New Jersey, is just a straight talker, which I appreciate greatly. And he's someone who owns his own challenges and his own mistakes, as well as speaks directly about what needs to happen to make improvements in your culture or to improve as a leader. It's a refreshing conversation. It's very direct. Uh, and it's one that uh, I think, you know, you'll leave stronger with your head and your heart. So enjoy this episode. I had a great time filming it as always. I mean, we've had him on for the second time now. I'm going to definitely try to have him back on again in the future. Um, if you're a subscriber, thanks for subscribing. If you haven't subscribed, please hit the subscribe button. That's how we continue to grow and have more impact. Uh, and ultimately, the thing that I care most about is uh, there's someone in your life as you listen to what Principal Kefele is talking about today that could be uplifted by his words. Please share them with them. He is, like I said, someone who's incredibly passionate about changing the status quo uh, of educators across this country. So enjoy it. All right, Principal Kefele, it is an awesome privilege to have you back. I had so much fun in our last conversation, and I know that you've probably been traveling quite a bit, uh, doing a lot of speaking as well as supporting of leaders all across the country and maybe internationally. I just thank you for finding time to, to meet with us today. Yeah, I'm, I'm honored to be here yet another time. Good to be here. Yeah, we feel blessed. So today we're focused on helping people find their purpose, helping them use that purpose to kind of alleviate or push past burnout. And to start our start to get here, I don't I don't want to ask this. You know, I if anybody has not listened to our last conversation, I would just encourage you um, to do so. And because it, I've not done this before. I said you got to go listen. Like I just think your story, your heart, your integrity about what you're about is inspiring to anybody. It gives me goosebumps the first time we talk. So I'm trying not to repeat the same question, but feel free to take you know the listeners back down a little bit of the road because I want to know. How did you personally discover your purpose for leading and what advice do you have for educators who are trying to seek their own purpose? Yeah, I, um, you know, finding that purpose for leading, it, it really started when I was a classroom teacher back in the early 80s and I mean, the late 80s and early 90s. I was in the classroom with zero aspiration of becoming a school leader. I, I just wanted to teach. That's all I wanted to do. Just give me give me 25 students or so or, or less, depending on the year, and let me just be in there with them teaching. But I was noticing the impact that I was making on young people. And I was also noticing just the overall leadership in the building. And as I kept paying attention to it, I reached a conclusion. I said, you know, I, I, I can do that. Now, now, did I know all that was entailed in leadership? No, I didn't. I um, what I knew was at the surface, but 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 something about that surface said to me, I can do this. So in '94, I went on and applied um, it here here in Jersey City, at New Jersey City University, as it's called now, and was accepted and got my master's in, in administration. And soon after, graduated in 96, and then in 97, I became a, um, an administrator and never looked back. You know, so it was just those experiences of being in that classroom and seeing the results. You know, that's, that's critical. You know, um, seeing what they were doing, the young people, which was making me feel that I can replicate that at the building level, not really thinking about the fact that I would have to be able to coach teachers up to get there, 
I'm just thinking that what I'm doing doesn't have to be confined to my classroom room 303. It can yep. be building wide. Yeah, one of the one of the challenges that I've seen for a lot of folks as they get promoted to assistant principal or principal who are phenomenal teachers is that they they have a genuine passion for kids and they think about kids. And when you get into that role, it seems to me your first focus has to be the adults and you have to allow the te- you don't forget about kids, but you focus on adults and allow the teachers to get better at supporting the kids. How does that that kind of assumption land with you? And then what what's your way of navigating you know, not just going straight to the kids, but actually coaching teachers to be better at it. Yeah. Well, you know, there's, you know, consistent with that, there's something that I say to leaders probably 100% of the time regarding that. And I say to them, you know, what we do is not easy work. This is, this is very complex work. It's very challenging work. It can be difficult work, but, but what distinguishes our work from virtually any other leader that leads adults is that we're leading two different entities of people versus some organization, some company where they're leading the adult population. We're leading adults and children, but not separately. We're leading adults and children simultaneously. So that takes a special individual to be able to balance that because it's, it's, it's just not easy. Children have their own sets of needs and children are, are, are the primary focus of why the school is open. But then you got the adults that have to take them to those levels that you want to get them to, because that's not what we do as leaders. You know, we, we support that, we guide that, we lead that, but we're not on the front line in that classroom teaching. So it's, it's a very fine balance and, and, and quite frankly, this is just me speaking for me with no research. I don't think that all of us are built for that. I don't think that all of us are wired for that. That takes a special, I don't care how much information you've gathered over the years, what degrees you have. It takes a special person that can lead children and adults at the same time, simultaneously. And that school ultimately being a successful school. So that's a, you know, that's, that's, that's a big challenge. Yeah. I mean, to that part then, you know, as either as someone who is thinking about becoming a leader or a district official who's listening, thinking about how do I hire better leaders? What are some of the key attributes you think you're looking for and someone who can navigate that tough leadership challenge as presented to educators? Yeah. Well, one of the things is, as I tell leaders all the time, if you're one, in fact, I'm smiling because I, I actually preached this sermon the other day. I didn't just say it. I, I literally preached the sermon and, and, and it was a crowd that was saying amen and all that kind of stuff. So it was, it was just that kind of audience. And that's probably why I preached it. And, and what and what I preached to them was, if you're somebody, these, this, this was a room full of teacher leaders who aspire to become administrators. So I would say there were approximately 90 of them in the room. And I said to them, if you're one that needs to be loved by just people in general. This is not for you. If you're one that needs everyone to say yes to you all the time, uh, all your decisions they agree with, and 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 they're always behind you and supporting you, then this is this is probably not something that you want to go into, because there are going to be some days that you have to stand alone when there's no one that agrees with your decisions. But you, but if you feel in your heart, in your gut, that this is the decision that needs to be made, you have to make it. You can't survey your staff and find out how they feel before you make the decision. So if you're one that cannot make a split se- second decision, uh, as opposed to someone that needs the support of everybody before I make it, this is not for you. If you need everybody to love you, right? Everybody to be on your side at all times. This is not for you because there are going to be times when, yes, everybody's really happy about you because you made the decision that everybody's just satisfied. But there are going to be other times when you've got to make some decisions that are going to hurt, right? That that everybody's not going to be able to swallow. So I'm saying, therefore, to you, if if you can make those decisions without needing them to be approving of all the decisions that you make, then there's a higher probability that you'll be able to function within this capacity. But another thing that I say to them, you know, in terms of things at the top of my list is your ability to coach staff. You know, as I said last time, I, I, you know, I'll take it to my grave. The assistant principalship is the most misunderstood and underutilized position in all of education. So if you're not one 
who understands your role as coach of an assistant principal or as coach in the principal capacity or as coach of teachers, right? You, you, you've got to make sure even in an AP position that those teachers are growing because of you, because you, you look, look at, look at um, this short list of the various professional development opportunities that are out there, conferences, institutes, academies, books, journals, blog posts, videos, um, podcasts, professional learning networks on social media, right? And, and, and I can go on and on. There's a commonality with all of them. And the commonality is that none of them can come back to your school and provide you with feedback. So you can go to the conference and hear the best keynote you've ever heard in your life or the best breakout session you've ever heard in your life. Or you could read the best book ever written, or you can listen to the best podcast ever broadcasted, any of that stuff. But the, but, but the commonality is that author, that podcaster, that keynoter, that presenter, they're not coming back to your classroom to let you know if you implemented what you heard effectively. That's the commonality. So then where am I going to get that feedback? From the leader. But what if the leader doesn't have time to be coach? Then you're in a, then your children are in a bad situation, right? Because now they're in classrooms being subjected to teachers that do not have the benefit of a coach, their supervisor, of, 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 of engaging them in that ongoing collegial relationship via instructional leadership. Mm. Uh, as you were talking, I was thinking, all right, well, if I'm listening to this podcast and I know I struggle with approval, I know I struggle with making tough decisions, upsetting people, but I really like my role as a principal or assistant principal, what encouragement can you give uh, other than obviously, I mean, I do think, I think it's very wise to have to say, you still have a choice to make. This may not be best place for you. And that's good for you and for the organization. However, if you're going to go fight through, what's some encouragement you could give someone that's trying to build those muscles? Yeah. Understand that that's just a part of the job. Said differently, understand that that's just a part of leadership. Look at any leader in any capacity. So, so leader out there that's watching or aspiring leader out there that's watching. Let's say you like sports. And doesn't matter what sport it is, is it you like some sport or all sports. Well, when you see that coach on television or you're at the game and you see those assistants on the sidelines, as a matter of fact, so that I can keep it, keep it simple. Let's just say football. So you, you see all those assistant coaches on the sidelines with the head coach. And then you see all those athletes on the sidelines. And then you see all the other athletes in the game. Make no mistake about it. Of all those coaches and all those athletes, they're not all in 100% agreement with that head coach. Make no mistake about it. The ones on the sidelines are upset because they're not getting in the game. That's, that's, that's number one. Then the ones who are the assistants, they see some of the decisions that the head coach is making, but in their mind, and I'm not going to say paint with a broad brush, but there's some of them, in their mind, I could have called a better play. I could I could have done that. I would have done something different in this situation. So they're, they're, so And then you got the players on the field. So, so, so someone calls in a particular play to the quarterback, but the quarterback may not be in agreement with the play, right? Or, or, or other members of the team on the field may not be in agreement. But at the end of the day, that head coach still has to run with the decision that is, that is being made, right? So I'm saying to that person, so as a principal, it's the same dynamic. This is what leadership is. It doesn't mean that you've got a symphony but it, but, it, but it does mean that you're going to be in there and sometimes you're going you're gonna to have to step out and just do what you think is best while simultaneously always being intentional about building your team around you. Because if you don't have that team, then it's not going to work anyway. So you're being intentional about building that team so that you do have those soldiers around you that you can lean on. Because ultimately, and this is big, you want to be able to pull from those folks because as a, at the end of the day, as leader, whether it be coach, whether it be school leader, corporate leader, whomever leader, you'll never be the smartest person in the world. I, I don't care how old you are, how experienced you are. There are people in, 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 in that room that know things you don't know. And those are the people you want to lean on 
they've got some information. They've got some resources that you may not have access to. I'm 63 years old. A 20-something-year-old a, a teacher on my staff knows a wealth of things that I don't know because I'm not in that world anymore. I'm in, I'm in my world. I'm in my space, right? A child, a, a, a teenager age 13 has information that, that can help me benefit me to help me to grow because I'm not in that world, but yet I'm leading the youngster of that world. So I want to learn not just from books and conferences and so forth, but I want to learn from the human capital that's in the building, regardless of who it is. Yeah, that's awesome. I think before we dive into your book, uh, I, I want to ask a follow-up question to that because leadership's just tough. And I love that you're just no nonsense and you know, very Jersey, if I can say, just like direct, yeah. here's what it is. And it's a good thing. It's a compliment. Um, Jersey, all the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's good. I love it. I, uh, in 2018, you wrote an article for, I think, a ACSD or something where I, I found a quote from you. It says, it's my strong opinion that we are living through what is probably the toughest era ever to be an educator in the United States. That was 2018. A lot has happened since then. How do you feel about that quote today? And uh, is there anything you want to add to it or expound upon? No, I, I would have to rewrite it um, because in 2020, I would, I would have said this is the toughest time. And in 2023, I'd say this is. So I think, I think times get tougher as it be, because the world keeps shifting. And, and particularly in the education space, it, it's, it, you know, in, in some of the states and, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll get as controversial as you ask the questions, but in some of the states, it could be a little bit more overwhelming than, than some of the other states. So we have to learn how to navigate that. We have to be able to navigate that if we're going to survive it. So, yeah, 2018, and I remember 2018, and those were tough times, but by 2020, they got tougher. And here we are in 2023 and with a severe teacher shortage, to use that as an example, these, these, these are very difficult times. You know, the volume of, teach, of uh, principals that I meet throughout the country who tell me they open up open school in the beginning of the year with 15 teachers short, 10 teachers short, and, and, but yet the same pressure to ensure that those youngsters are achieving at the highest levels. These are tough times for a school leader because, because at the end of the day, the responsibility is going to fall on that person, that leader. You know, the question becomes, what am I doing to make my school so attractive that a candidate who has options, who has multi, has a multiplicity of choices, decides on my school? See, so now that so so now you 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 look at that and compare it to the past, and and that may not have even been on the leader's radar in terms of the volume of, of, of vacancies that a leader may have. But now here we are, I could have five, I could have 10, I can have 15 on the first day of school. What am I going to do differently now that a teacher says, I wanna be with you? And what if I can't offer the same salary that a teacher can get somewhere right in the next town? What, how, how, do, I, how do I craft my message in a way that that candidate says, despite the lower salary, I want to work with that guy. And, you know, I left in 2011. But you know something, as I say that, because I haven't thought about this in a while, but as I articulated that, it came back to me. I had a lot of teachers who could have left. And, 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 they, and they, they deliberately said to me, no, I, I want to work with you. I had a teacher, and maybe I said this last time, I had a teacher who was, who, who was 65, ready to retire. He told me when I came to the school. He said, I'm, I'm going to do this last year, then I'm out. And then that last year elapsed and he didn't leave. I said, what's going on? Are you retiring? He said, nah, nah, I'm not going anywhere as long as you're here. Now he, I, I thought he's going to go on and live his life after education, 30 years of teaching. So the next year, the next year, the next year, now he's 68, 69. Doc, when you leaving? As long as you're here, I'm here. See, that's, so that's how we, that's, that's how we got to sell it. That despite whatever, you know, whatever the salary is, how, 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 do, how do we take this thing that we have called the school and, and package it in a way that a candidate says, I want to be there. And I might add, I want to be with that leader. I appreciate that challenge because I, I asked a, a question the other day on uh, an episode that um, was about a, a friend of mine who's a principal of a high school who's trying to make significant change and 
he believes he's gonna have to move on. He's done it as he's been a turnaround principal. So he's he knows like the good and bad of it. Um, and this is the first time, you know, he's had massive openings starting the year, and he still believes after spending a half a year with folks that he needs to move off of some folks. And he his first time in his life he's been terrified to make such a decision because he's ex- expanding and like exponentiating the problem he has with making sure we've got butts and seeds to teach kids. What kind of encouragement do you have folks to make the tough decisions of, is this the right fit? Is this the right person to be in front of our kids? Yeah. You know, that, that, that too has become different. Um, I remember every year you start interviewing candidates like in Jersey, we, we, we end, we end the school year in June and we go back in September. So late June and then go back after Labor Day in September. So I remember we'll start inter- interviewing candidates in May and June. And you know, you may see someone you like and you may not. And if and if it's someone that you that you didn't uh, necessarily like, then you you move on. So now June, July, August, and now you got three vacancies, right? Back in them days, three or four vacancies. And now that guy that you passed over back in May and June, he looks real good now, right? So he didn't look good back then. Yeah, that, that wasn't somebody I wanted or I would have offered him a job and, and, and had and secured him. But now, now, now we jump on the phone. Hey, buddy, <laughs> still looking? Yeah, come on down, <laughs> right? So, um, yeah, so now he, he, you know, he looks great uh, going into September. So, so thinking about what you said about your colleague, you don't want to lose somebody, but you don't want the the wrong people in the classroom. And and it's unfortunate that we're in a world now, and I don't want to say we just got here, but I think it just intensified that sometimes we just want a body in the classroom with the hope that, that either this person will work, will f- be a good fit, or we'll be able to help this teacher to grow, right? Because of the shortage. Then, you, you know, and if I understood you correctly, then you have folks in the building whom need a lot of attention, but you don't want to lose them over the attention, right? So, so, so if if I was if I if I heard you correctly in terms of backing off, right? So, and and that's a valid that's a valid point because because if you come in if 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 you come in too hard on that on that individual and that individual becomes frustrated, then yeah, that individual could let you know tomorrow I'm out of here. Right. And and sometimes they won't give the notice. They just won't be there for the next two weeks. And you figured it out. Right. So and, and you know, that's real world. It, it really happens. So so so, so you so w- what it does for me in terms of the question, it, it, it just takes me back to the relationship. See, I can I, I can stay with a teacher in terms of working working hard towards making that teacher great and that teacher being receptive if the relationship has been established first. But if I'm trying to help you to grow and 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 you're not you're not accustomed to that because you haven't been in a culture where that is normalized. Now that teacher may see my presence as a burden as a coach whether it be in the classroom, pre-observation, post-observation, outside of evaluation season. I'm just talking about ongoing because that's what it should be if we're talking about true instructional leadership and instructional coaching. But if that if that can't if that uh, individual is not used to doesn't is not coming from a culture where that was what we did, then this looks like an aberration. Like what what are they doing here? This, this, this guy won't let me teach, you know, that type of thing. So when I was building it as a principal, the teachers welcome that. And and if they if, if I went a, a few weeks and no contact, they're coming to me like, where you been? Right? Because they look forward to the feedback. But there was a culture there that said that that was okay. See, if the culture's not there, then that's not going to work. I go into a new school tomorrow and, and I and I, and I want to be the old principal cafele that I know, but that's not what they do. They're accustomed to one visit for the one end of the year evaluation and that's it. Then I have to I have to dismantle that slowly but surely, and then reconstruct, so that ultimately we can be that school. No, that's awesome. Uh, yeah. You know, one of the things we talk about with these shortages is uh, fighting burnout, right? I mean, I'm sure you hear about that everywhere, from school leaders to district officials, um, all day. the way to teachers. 
what strategies have you been helping people with as they've been fighting their own burnout? Because we want great leaders to stay in the fight. And so whether it's using purpose or other skills uh, you've suggested, like how do you help support leaders to fight through the burnout stages? Yeah, I'm gonna give you a couple things. Um, one is you, you, you can never lose sight of the team, right? And when I say team, I'm talking about every staff member in that building, because there's, there's always a tendency to try to do everything oneself. And when you try to do everything oneself by yourself, because you don't trust others, then it's, it's very easy to burn out. You, if school starts in August, you'd be burnt out by the end of August, right? So you got to recognize that there, there's some, there's, there's some brilliant people on your staff and they, and, and you got some, and you got a percentage of folks on the staff that just like you for whatever the reason, well, you got to tap into those folks. You got another percentage on the staff who are aspiring leaders and you got to find out who they are. I don't think there's a school in America that doesn't have some folks on that staff that want to be a leader one day. Right. Well, you got to tap into them and you got to utilize their talents. Right. Because you're giving them an opportunity to grow. Right. But if you don't tap into these folks, then then you can't utilize their services beyond teaching and learning. So I have always known who they were. And I, I gave them responsibility. I, if, if, if I could coordinate their schedule, I put them on lunch duty, you know, uh, so that I, so I can free up teachers from having to do that or even free myself or my team from having to go in the cafeteria for that purpose. I'm in the cafeteria to interact with kids, but I don't want to be on duty when I'm in there. So 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 it's so it's things like that. And then it's, you know, we, we always go back to the the why, the purpose. It's never losing sight of that. So when when I find myself, when I found myself as a teacher feeling overwhelmed, when I found myself as a principal feeling overwhelmed, when I find my myself in this capacity feeling overwhelmed, I, I, I go back here, the mirror, right? To 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 recommit myself to my purpose for doing the work in the first place, because it, it's easy. It, it's, it's very easy to lose sight of one's purpose when the work becomes demanding, when the work becomes overwhelming. So one has to constantly remind oneself of why you're doing this job. And, and, and see, the, the, the challenge with that, I've learned this over the years, is that there are a lot of people who do not remember why they're doing this work. They think they know, but when you start engaging them in the tough conversation, well, let me let us know what it is. Dig deep and go far beyond to make a difference. Like, like don't even give me that answer. Go far beyond to make an impact. Don't share that with me. I'm not interested because we all want to make a difference. We all want to make an impact, but that's really not an alarm clock to get you up in the morning. Dig deeper. You didn't go into leadership. You didn't go into education for the for, for 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 that generic response that you want to make a difference. You had some specificity that you were thinking of, and I certainly did, and I certainly do. So the specificity became my why, right? So so now when when I felt myself getting tired, overwhelmed, frustrated, discouraged, all that, I just go back to the why, and now I'm I'm good. Because now I've re reassociated myself with my initial purpose for doing this work in the first place. It's funny you say that. I was uh, my my son right here, Luke. It's over my right shoulder. I don't know how it comes up on video, but um, he just turned ten uh, today. And oh, happy birthday! Oh, thanks. Uh, uh, yeah. That's one of the reasons why my uh, amazing wife left work a little bit early, and my uh, father in law are back there trying to create a surprise for him. But um, I, when I think about, you're talking about purpose, um, a little bit earlier, like when I think about how, how do you find the purpose for folks? You say, let me find the why, let me dive into challenges. One of the things that I saw recently, there's a video between David Goggins, who's kind of comical to me, uh, and a guy named Andrew Huberman, who's a neuroscientist at Stanford. Uh, the neuroscientist was saying he recently discovered that there's a part of your brain that grows bigger when you do things you don't want to do when you is like building a muscle of things you don't want to do that part of your brain that you used to think is just simply the willpower part of your brain but it's actually like more like the will to live and the people who live the longest generally that size never changes because they're constantly allowing themselves to get uncomfortable and never uh, like just settling 
And so that's something that like I've been obsessed with since then, like my own like morning readings that I do, you know, one of the uh, uh, things I meditate on is count, count it all as joy, every trial and tribulation. And so uh, it's just something that it's funny that neuroscientists are proving what you say, you know, you have to do is like, you got to lean into challenges. That thing is actually good for us long-term. It's just really hard to do in the moment. Wow. Wow. Crazy. Yeah. 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 I'll I'll send it to you. Yeah. I'd love for you to share that with people. Um, So before we get out of here, I want to do two things. I just want to touch base. If those people on video can see, you've got your latest book behind you. I want to talk a little bit about that. And then obviously we have our same four closeout questions. So with that, you know, your latest book, The Assistant Principle Identity, right? Which you can see right behind you. What inspired you to write a book specifically focused on assistant principles? Yeah, well, you know, it's, it's, it's subtitled Protecting Your Leadership Mindset Fervor and authenticity. And that was the real focus. We, we, we talk about professional growth and development of, of educators, including leaders all the time. But I do a Saturday um, uh, live stream and I have, I do a monologue every Saturday before we get into the content. And I was, I was doing these short monologues, you know, about a minute or two long. And I was saying, on one week, I said, protect your happiness. And then I went on and gave commentary. Protect your peace. And I went on and gave commentary. A pr- protect your purpose in commentary. So I went on and then I generated this long list of about 30 things to protect as it relates to your leadership. And I said to myself, huh, that's, that's a concept. That's an idea. I said, we, we talk about growing, but we don't talk about safeguarding once we grew, right? Like, like how, how do I, how, how, how do I ensure that I don't, that, that distractions and temptations and frustrations and discouragements, et cetera, don't harm this thing that I've built, my happiness, my joy, my authenticity, et cetera. So I said, I, I'm going to put that into a book. And initially it was called protecting your leadership, authenticity, mindset, and fervor. But then I said, well, since I'm working with these assistant principals so much, let me put that in the title, right? So, uh, so, so it became that, and then we used what I wanted to be the title to be the subtitle. So that's, you know, that's what that was. And I'm just saying to leaders, assistant principals in this regard, but anybody that reads the book really, that there are these, these areas of your of, of of your leadership and and your life by extension because your life impacts your leadership that you've you've got to protect you know you, you you've you've got to do all you can to keep them from from being violated um through just the the the, the daily grind of the work and one of them just 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 to speak on authenticity i've always wanted to just be me and and I know with myself and probably with anybody, being you, your authentic you, may put you on the outside of a building, on the outside of a job, because you can't necessarily bring who you are in um, outside of the school into the school. However, or, or, or me as a speaker onto the stage. However, I don't want to transform so much that I have lost my identity. See, I still, I still want to be me. Like, not too long ago, I'd never show up on this on this podcast wearing a hoodie, never, right? That, but, but see, I was dressing for a particular occasion, dressing for different people, you know, whatever it was. But I decided, I said, but, but you know, that's what I was wearing before I came on camera. Why, why am I changing that? It's not that I don't. That, 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 that I look like I'm not neat or anything. I just want to be relaxed. I want to be me. When I do my Saturday broadcast, I'm wearing baseball jerseys, right? So I said, I, I got to be me. I'll, 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 I'll sustain my professionalism in terms of what I present, who I am, but, but I got to be my authentic self. So I'm saying to the reader of the book, once you compromise who you are, then you're no longer walking in yourself. You're walking in what others want you to be. Well, that's not you. I'm not saying come to school dressed like this as a leader. 
But I am saying whatever those those attributes are that you deem are necessary to who you are, protect them. Don't just develop it because now you got to live it. And if you don't protect it, circumstances, situations can compromise them. And now you, you're back to where you were. Well, it sounds like the way you're describing, you know, we talked about a bunch of challenges that educators are facing these days and how it's even tougher than ever right now. Uh, if you are not being your authentic self, leadership's already hard, but trying to be someone else in that is almost impossible, right? Like you can try it. A lot of people try it. We've all been there if we've been a leader of anybody. Um, that's a question for you. Have you ever been there? Because I know I, when you're talking, I can think about the first time I had a team of people, the, the leader that was before me, I respected the heck out of. I wanted to honor that person as best I could. I was really young coming into a role and I was like, I'm going to turn on that person's personality, not all the time, but as much as I can. And that person, I just very different. We get great results, but it was very different. And it did not turn out well for me early on. Yeah, no, I, I, I did it. But mine was more so trying to emulate a character in a movie who was a real person. And that would be Joe Clark of yeah. Lean On Me. So, so trying to bring him to the school through me. And I learned very quickly that that didn't translate into student achievement for me. It did translate into student order. It translated into a, 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 a culture of the proper conduct and that type of thing. But in terms of a student achievement, it did not. So I said, let me not continue this. Let me be me. Let me be my authentic me. And then that's when we started to see the results I, I aspired to. So one of the harder things to do as a leader is let's say someone's listening right now and they, this hits them like a ton of bricks and they recognize that they were trying to be the Joe Clark and they were getting some results out of it, but recognizing that was not them and that was not going to be sustainable in the long haul. What advice do you have for them to help them, you know, communicate to their staff or to slowly or quickly evolve into the person they know they really are? and be accepted and not just not accepted like love like we talked about earlier but like people will follow yeah no you you just you you just got to be you but when you lead you got to tap into people see you 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 can't lead and and simultaneously be blind to the people you're leading you know they're they're unique individuals in the school individuality manifests throughout the building so you've got to get to know them you know, that, that's got to be a priority and you cannot get to know staff in a staff meeting. You've got to get to know them individually. And as you get to know them individually, you'll, you'll know your staff collectively. And now you know how to move in that school. Because, you know, I think about the four schools that I led. I was not the same leader in the four schools. I was still my authentic self, but I had to adapt to the culture in the building and the individuals in those buildings. And that's the same thing as a speaker. I'm, 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 you know, I'm not the same guy per se with every audience, you know, like, like when I told you, you know, now I'll be a little bit more specific with it. When I told you I, I preached the sermon the other day, all right, this was an, this was an audience that was 95%, if not more African-American in the South, right? So so when I'm talking, matter of fact, that separate meeting we had with those teacher leaders, I think that was 100% black. So, and that's where I was doing all that preaching and they were amening me and all that kind of thing. So see, but, but, but my point was this, that's the space that we were in culturally, right? So because I was speaking the way I was speaking, the tone, the delivery, the, the actual message, I knew I knew what it was going to bring out of them. And but if I, I can take that same message to a to a different culture, and I'm not going to get the same reaction. So so one has to consider where am I? Who's in the room? And what adjustments do I need to make toward connecting with who's in the room? If one has an equality mindset versus an equity mindset and treats every situation the same, you're not going to get the desired results. You, you, you've got to consider who's in the space and then you proceed on. Um, before we get to the rapid fire questions, I want to ask one more question. I know that you've probably been doing a lot of uh, speaking engagements or like I said, trainings earlier on, on your book, particularly. 
has there been one theme that's surprised you uh, in terms of how people have interacted with your book or interacted with your message? Like something that like it was important to you, but like seems really important commonly to different groups and different audiences. You know, the, the thing that's always stood out for me with my books in terms of feedback. Um, yes, I hear people compliment specific things in the book, but the thing that really stands out for me is I would say most of the people that give me feedback, they'll say to me, as I read the pages, I heard your voice. And, and and the reason that's so powerful is because that's the intent. So I, ha I had an editor and the editor, and this is in earlier books, the editor took me out of the book and I didn't have the wherewithal at the time, nor did I feel I had the experience to say, editor, put me back in the book. See, in my mind, as a younger author, I'm thinking, okay, that's what it is. You know, you edit it and then we go with it. So then as, 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 as my star started to rise, so to speak, and I, and I knew who I was in, 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 in this industry and I knew who I was in, in that company, ASCD, I said to, to the publisher, I need a different editor. I need an editor that understands me, that gets me that understands that, the, you know, I, I know it's not, it's not normal that, in, that, that the way someone speaks would be translated into the way that they write, but I don't consider myself a writer. I'm, I'm a practitioner who has the audacity to put his thoughts on paper. So I'm not trying to adhere to those, those, those you know, those codes and so forth. Right. I, I, I do things my way. So I said to the publisher, I said, look, when, when they read my books, I wanted to feel like I'm doing a keynote. So they, so now I got leverage because I because my books sell well. So they said, okay. So I handpicked the editor. And now I said to the editor, I need when I read this, when I read your editing, I need to feel me. And now when I read these books, that's me on stage. See, so that's so 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 when so when a reader comes to me and says, because because the reader they, the, the reader would never know that this was the intent. They you know they're not hearing me say this. So when the reader comes to me and says, "I felt you," it felt I, I heard your voice on every page. Then I'm saying, "Praise God!" Right? That's that's what I wanted. That was the intent. Yeah. Well, that's. I mean, again, I told you uh, before we started this podcast, what kind of impact uh, our last conversation had on me, and a lot of it, as I'm just experiencing it with you, uh, your cadence your your confidence your sincerity all come across and your jersey tone in a way like and i again i mean that as a compliment i have uh my my manager of the last over a decade from philly so i always tell her she's going philly and that's what i love most about her um yeah. i i think it is so refreshing and so i just want to encourage people who again have not listened to the first podcast to go listen but secondly your books are i mean i i, I love how you communicate I love the practical, practical nature of it. I love the fact that you balance like this is an ambiguous world. It's really tough. And you got to pull your boots up and you got to figure this out. We can't make excuses. We got to go. And so like I just appreciate your mentality. And so um, thank you. Uh, I know we got to get to our rapid fire questions, but I just wanted to yeah. thank you in the moment as you're talking about like that, that resonates with me as well. Thank you. Thank you much. So real quick, rapid fire questions. You've been through them before. I'm curious to see how they've changed because uh, they're not, I don't send them to you ahead of time. So I can't remember, uh, doubt you remember each one of them. But first right. question, what's a habit or discipline you use on a daily or weekly basis to be the best version of yourself? Um, go, go, go into my mirror and, and, and making sure that I'm, I'm on point. Self-reflection, self-assessment, self-adjustment, self-improvement. I live by that. Yeah, that's awesome. All right. Uh, for the people who are watched last time and are watching this time, you have no shortage of books. So I can't wait to see what you come up with this time. What is a book either you always recommend because it, if it's the same one, I'm okay with it because that just shows how serious it is for you. Uh, or if it's a book recently that really spoke to you or one that you want people to check out, what's a, what's a book right now that you want people to check out? You know, I hope I didn't recommend this one before, but um, it's it's an important book, but it's a very simple read. It was written in 1936 by Dale Carnegie, How to Win Friends and Influence People. I think that everybody in, in, in education and particularly in leadership, they need to read that book. Mm. It's all about influence. Yeah. Uh, what stage of your career did you 
across that. I've got a couple of friends who have worked for the organization. And so I, I love it as well. So uh, when did you come across it? When did you really start trying to apply it? Undergrad school, when I thought I was, you know, I studied marketing. That's what my degree was in. So I'm reading on, you know, the, the, the Zig Ziglar's, the, the, um, the Dale Carnegie's, the, uh, all of them. You know, I'm reading everybody. And um, I think I knew those books verbatim. I was reading them that much. And, you know, so as I always, I know it's rapid fire, so let me be quiet. But, but as I yeah. always say to folks, I always say to folks, um, I'm, an, I'm, I'm the educator that I became because I studied marketing. And I say, um, I say it all the time. I say, you know something? They need to make Marketing 101 a required course for every educator because we are, at the end of the day, not only are we in the education business, we're in the selling business. And a lot of us have no idea how to take what's up here and to give it to somebody else. That's marketing. I'm I'm glad uh, you brought up Zig Ziglar's uh, name again uh, in college. I most of my dad grew up with him, uh, being someone he looked up to. And where mm. I went to college in Dallas, Texas, I just happened to go to church with Zig Ziglar. And so, wow. uh, like my dad, who I you know look up to, is loving this guy's lane. He taught a class at our church, and so I was signed up. And I drove 45 minutes away from my college campus as often as I could to hear from him. And he he impacted me a ton. And he actually is one of the people that put me on uh, the book you just described. And so yeah. uh, it's just funny yeah. how the world comes. You know, he, um, he, you know, real quick, he, I got this closing that I do for keynotes. Well, I do it for everything. It just depends on what kind of energy I bring. If it's a keynote, it's a lot of energy. If it's a presentation, it's just kind of talking the way I am now. But it, yeah. but it says, it says when you get back to that classroom or when you get back to that school, kick some butt and I'll see you in the winner's circle celebrating your victory. Will that see you in the winner's circle? That's Zig. I took, I took that. I took it right from him. <laughs> and I've been saying I, that for years. Years. I love it. Well, it's funny. Yeah. I don't know if you've seen social media recently. Oh. Cat Williams blowing up the comedy industry. Oh, I know uh, he, broke, he broke the internet. <laughs> he, he broke the internet. Talking about uh, stealing jokes and stealing those things. So I just think it's interesting. Yeah. Anyways, I, I could go down a whole other conversation yeah. with you about that. I'll tell, uh, tell anybody. I got that from Zig. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> he That's great. The top. That's Zig Ziglar. Yeah, I ain't claiming I, that one. I just use it. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Um, so uh, third question, again, you like baseball. Are you able to answer that question, who's your baseball team? Yeah, I, I can. I can. You I'm, 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 I'm a National people. League. Huh? Oh, oh without a take, yeah. Well, I mean, I'm a National League fan. So I'm, you know, I'm in the New York area, so I'm a Mets fan. Okay. I'm not, uh, I'm not are, a Yankee fan. I do have a Yankee jersey, but uh, that's that's just something to wear. But I'm a Mets fan. I'm not a heavy modern day baseball fan. I, you know, I know what's going on, but you know, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm into the Negro leagues and I, I, I know the Negro leagues better than I know major league baseball. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I did not grow up, uh, love I mean, I played baseball, but I didn't I grew up in Tallahassee, Florida, where it's all college sports. So we love like Florida state university as opposed to the Braves or anything like that. But when I moved to St. Louis, uh, I'm pretty sure my wife wouldn't have married me if I had not learned to be a Cardinals fan and know what's actually happening each week. So we are diehard Cardinals fan. And I say all that to continue to say this little man here who just turned 10 today, I'll keep it focused on Luke. Uh, he loves walk-up songs. He's always thinking, what's your walk-up song? What's your walk-up song? So I used to ask you what music's on your playlist. Now I just want a song that you would use for a walk-up song to get people motivated or get yourself motivated. I have a walk-up song, and not only is it my walk-up song, but I dance to it when I do big keynotes. Um, we get the audience dancing with me. It's called We Are One, and it's by Frankie Beverly and Mays. That's, um, you, go on, you, go on, you go on YouTube and look up some of my, my keynotes, um, either on my page or just search me, and you'll see it. It's, um, I come up, you know, walk up, dance up, two-step. That's all I got in me, a two-step, and uh, we get the audience up, and we, we dance to the first verse. That's awesome. Well, I, I just want to go for it just to see you dance. Not that I don't think you can. I just want to see what it looks like. Yeah, um, go, on, go, on, go to and, um, or No, go to my AP and New Principles Academy YouTube channel, and you'll see it right there. I'm wearing a red shirt. You'll see it right there. All right. Uh, last question. What's, I mean, you're around a lot of uh, thought leaders. You do a lot of introspection yourself. Is there a quote uh, a thought, a passage, or something that's come across and hit you that you've been wrestling with lately that you think you could share with others that would inspire them possibly? 
one of my faves because I'm such a Kobe Bryant fan, Mamba. Um, the first time I ever heard this this quote, strive to be the best version of yourself, which you used um, on here. Uh, I don't I don't think he created it. If he did, I don't know. But I just I used to hear he's the first person I ever heard use it. And I use it all the time because of that. So, you know, just strive to be the best version of yourself. You don't have to be as good as somebody else. You're not in competition with somebody else. Your only competition, my only competition is myself. So I just strive to be the best version of me every day. I love that. My kids asked me the other day, so I'm coaching their fourth grade basketball team. And uh, mm. my son asked me, why are you still wearing Kobe's? Can't you get something, you know, whatever the latest shoe is, like Steph Curry or something? I was like, well, when I made varsity basketball, my first shoe was the Adidas Kobe. And my last shoe, when I kind of had to retire for health reasons from the basketball pickup days, uh, is is Mamba Mentality shoe. So I, uh, I'm, a, I'm a big fan. I try to sprinkle that into my kids, uh, my, my players all the time. So uh, I appreciate it greatly. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I wanted to say to you, I've been in that Bush Stadium more times than any major league stadium, including um, here, in, here in this area. I've been in that stadium more than any other stadium because um, it's something about that environment. Yeah. And, 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 I, and, and when the Cardinals were playing well, which was not too long ago, I enjoy just being in there watching them play because um, I, you know, I speak in St. Louis. I say, well, let me let me not fly out tonight. Let me go to a game and see them, you know. So, um, you know, you got the arch in the background out there in the field. And, you know, it's just I just love being in there. It's a real nice vibe. Well, we, we've enjoyed it, even though they've struggled the last year. It's still a, a really good atmosphere. And I think, you know my wife and my father-in-law who aren't normally in the background of podcast recording can probably hear us down the hall. And they would say <laughs> we definitely have the best fans in baseball, but like as an outsider, I just appreciate it because everybody seems pretty educated on it and they enjoy the experience and they cheer for folks. And so I don't know if you come back, uh, if we ever come through, we'd love to host you, take you out to dinner or something because uh, we don't need too many excuses to go to games. I love it. Even as a Mets fan, you have a Cardinals hat. Yeah, I know. I got the hat. <laughs> well, yeah. this is an honor. I appreciate you making time to be here today. And uh, I think I will I possibly might be able to run into you here shortly at a symposium. I'm hoping to. So uh, okay. I'll keep you posted if we're in the same spot, okay? Yeah, appreciate it. Thank you. Appreciate you. Have a blessed day, man. You as well.